0: right. So give that a little bit of consideration, if you don't mind, uh, as we come toward the uh, end of the service. Well, welcome uh, to an opening uh, message in a new series we're calling Perseverance. If you cannot read the subtitle from all the way in the back, that is too bad for you. You can move forward during the, the series here this morning. I'm just kidding. I think it says part of our conversations series. And the reason it says that is because uh, every now and then throughout the year, we do what we call, we're calling conversation series. At Grace Point, we say every story matters. And so this four week. Perseverance run is going to be different than most messages, where we're going to do a shortened message time, and then you're going to hear from someone at Grace Point every four weeks, and we're going to talk about 15 minutes with them up front to hear their story and talk through a conversation with them about how they're essentially applying or trying to live out some of the things that we are talking about. And so that's what we'll do uh, for the next month here at GPC. Um, This morning, just to get us kick-started, I've told some of you this story before, and I think some of you may remember it because it was so... So um, foolish of me to do, but it, it is what it is. When my youngest son was born uh, and I had um, to take care of my two uh, daughters at home while Jen was in the hospital with Luke, um, it was just a couple days of being in the hospital and we lived in New Holland at the time. Uh, and as my life was very busy for those couple days, um, do you, do you remember this? Some of you may remember the story. I thought when Jen came home, like I knew that what Jen liked is a clean house and the smell of a clean house. And so what I did, some of you may remember this, I took Lysol, pretend this is Lysol and on my way out the door to get Jen to bring her home, I just literally sprayed it in the air around the house so that when she would come home, she would smell Lysol and a clean house and that she could come home and feel more welcome. And that's exactly what happened. And it worked. She came home and after a little while, she's like, it smells really good in here. Did you clean? To which I didn't answer the question. I just moved on to something else. The the problem was, and where I got caught, was that Lysol, if you don't wipe it up on hardwood floors, it can create a little bit of a skating rink in your house. And so my kids and I would like run around. We had a circle in the house and you could kind of run around the hardwood floor and my girls would be sliding into the wall as they kind of come around the corner. And Jim's like, what's going on? I wonder what's going on. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know, and then I had to confess what I did, and you know that hey, this is all I did. I'm sorry, but I just wanted to make it smell nice and all that. And as I think back on that time in my life, I think it's a it's a great example for me of the fact that um, shortcuts <laughs> are an invitation and and a and a, uh, a temptation for all of us in so many things. It's one thing to get a shortcut in something silly like like that, but it's another thing to shortcut my faith development. And if I'm honest, one of the things I've come to learn in my years of trying to grow closer to God and understand what that is like is that my faith is most grown, and this kind of annoys me, but my faith is most grown in the hardest of times. Like, my faith almost never grows when things are super easy. I can't really ever remember a time where I'm thinking, you know, I had a great three years of my life, and I at the same time grew so much in my relationship to God. Almost inevitably, faith is tied to trials and difficulty, almost inevitably. And when that happens, I don't know about you, but for me, I am always tempted to shortcut trials. I am always tempted to get out of them faster than I should. I don't like discomfort, I don't like pain, I don't like dealing with unnecessary hardship. And so, I almost always want to shortcut or short-circuit short that process. But there's something weird about the way that God works, and that is that in the actual trial and in the pain is where I actually do grow. And so, during this series on perseverance, we wanna talk about what it takes to kinda stay, to stay in the trial and hardship enough, long enough, to learn, to grow, to develop, and not to take a shortcut through our faith. We're going to use a passage of Scripture that if you've been in the church, you may know. And if you've been in the church a while, you certainly know. And if you haven't, we're excited to introduce it to you. But it's a passage in a small little letter um, that um, is is written James. James chapter one is where we are going to be. And so I want to invite you to turn to this little letter. It's in the second two-thirds of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the the chair near you. That's our gift to you this morning. But James chapter 1, we're only going to be covering the first three verses this morning. And what James writes here uh, is so critical and helpful for us in understanding how God works in working through trials. And it sounds difficult, easy, difficult, easy, difficult, sometimes a little confusing. Let's read the first three verses. I'll read the first three verses here from the New International Version. Here we go. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's our word, there's our three verses, let's look at them. Verse 1, he says, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ of the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. He's writing to people who just came to faith. Um, They are... Uh, New uh, to faith, and they're also scattered. This is really difficult for us to imagine, but I just want you to imagine for a minute, if this body here were your primary faith community, you found meaning in coming here every Sunday morning, and all of a sudden this place was closed, and not only this place, but you couldn't attend any other local place, and some of you ended up in New Holland, some of you ended up in Cleveland, some of you ended up in South Dakota, and there were other no connection points there, but yet you still have someone that you trusted, and they write a letter to you. They're telling you it's going to be okay. You're scattered. There's no centralizing gathering place, and you feel disconnected and uprooted and unsure about how to get your grounding again in the new space that you are in around people who are not going to be gathering and worshiping together. That's about as close as maybe we can get to what James is writing to. He's writing to people who are scattered, who are just new to faith, and there is no central gathering place for them in all the places where they are. And so, he just wants them to know during times of unsettledness, he's, he's like, this is, this is going to be okay. Take a deep breath. This is going to be okay. He says, consider it, verse 2, consider, which is really this word for count it or to have this opinion or to hold this view. What he's saying is when you wake up, the mindset that you have, I want you to count it to count it, to consider it, he says, pure joy. Consider it pure joy. Now, this is not like an unadulterated happiness or just um, a a totally emotion-filled moment. Um, This is more like um, realizing that this trouble is actually helping me grow spiritually, It's not unlike, um, I don't know if if any of you have investments in the stock market, for example, but if you were to get a report from your portfolio and in the past quarter or the quarter prior, you were to see a 15, 20, 30% drop in your portfolio because the stock market has gone down. If you have the right view of the stock market, you understand longevity and compound interest makes sense. You are going to have a sense of gratitude that you are now going to be owning more stock at a cheaper price, even though you've just lost a bunch of money. If you can keep, if you can count on or have the bigger perspective that today's loss is going to be tomorrow's future gain. Difficult, but true. And that's in a way what he says about the way we see trials, that today's loss and hardship, if we can hold it in the right perspective, we can count it, it can be tomorrow's gain and i wanted to speak about this just for a minute minute because sometimes i've seen this abused sometimes i've seen christians um, dismiss emotion to the point where we just say you're going through a hard time don't worry don't even cry about it we don't say that but don't don't worry we don't engage it because we just want you to trust god for the future i want to acknowledge that there is also things that we read in the scriptures and ecclesiastes we read that there's a time for everything under heaven there's a time for mourning Time for weeping, a time for joy, but yes, a time for sadness. Jesus, when he engaged uh, with Mary and Martha and their brother, her brother, in John 11, Jesus came in, and Lazarus was dead. John 11:35, the shortest verse in the Bible that you can memorize right now. Jesus wept. <laughs> Jesus wept. He entered the trial of somebody, and he didn't come out with a rosy, everything's going to be okay speech. He wept because it was the right thing to do. So I just want to encourage us quickly to say, yes, while we consider things pure joy, don't go through it too quickly to miss the humanity of the moment. But underneath that, we can say, this pain will have a future win, we believe. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because, he says, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Look at that testing of your faith for a minute. (laughs) This idea that your faith will be under pressure, it will be a pressure test of whether or not this faith we have will work. When I go through uh, betrayal, I don't know about you, but when I go through betrayal, I am tested. When people betray me, when I think God betrays me, when I think the world betrays me, when I betray myself, my faith is then tested at the greatest time. And what James is saying is this testing of your faith, this is a pressure test of how much this system can handle and how much it can hold. And I don't love, I'll be honest with you, I don't love that trials and hardship are the way that God uses to build our faith. But this is the way James says it. He's like, I want you to wake up in the morning and I want you to consider it. I want you to consider it, Joy, when you face trials of many kinds, knowing that the pressure test you're under will build perseverance. What does perseverance mean? Here's what it means, perseverance is the capacity to bear up under difficult circumstances. You're someone who is going to be able to handle it. Now, how does this work? Or in other words, I might even ask, why do we need trials for perseverance? Can I get perseverance another way? Can I get perseverance just by making it through, uh, you know, some, some other things? You know, do I really need to, to deal with this? I just wanna share this briefly, and then I wanna invite up our, um, our other speaker for this morning. I've come to terms with this fact that God seems to always use trials, or maybe I'll put it this way, God seems to always use desert experiences to bring us closer to him. When I go back to the Old Testament, in the book of Hosea, um, Hosea was a prophet, and he had a wife named Gomer. Uh, Gomer was unfaithful to him and slept, uh, became a prostitute, basically. And when Gomer, um, when, when that happened, what God invited Hosea to do was to go pursue her, because he wanted to use that relationship as a living metaphor for how he was pursuing the nation of Israel, which was prostituting itself before other gods and other idols. And in Hosea, here's what we read in Hosea, the way God describes his drawing of the nation of Israel. He says, therefore, therefore, I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her. God is gonna lead Israel into the desert. And that's where he's going to speak tenderly. And here's what will happen in the desert. Some things will happen in the desert. There I will give her back her vineyards. There I will make the valley of Achor, which is a a symbol of trouble and suffering, a door of hope. There she will sing as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. All of a sudden she's getting her value back. She's getting hope back. She's getting joy back. Where? not on the mountain peak, but in the valley. And then not only do we get a difference of quality back, we also get a change of relationship. Check this out. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. That through the desert, our relationship with our heavenly father changes from a master to a husband, from someone I serve to someone I know loves me. This doesn't happen outside of the desert, and that is frustrating. Come on, why can't we do this in the, in the mountain? Come on, why do we have to go to the desert? And here's what Dan Allender has to say about this. I love the way he summarizes it. He says this, God promises us redemption, but His sacred path leads us away from safety, predictability, and comfort. Any attempt to fly over the dangerous terrain or make a detour to safer ground is doomed because it will not take us to God. Instead, it leads us to a host of other idols that can't provide us with the confidence of faith, the dynamic of hope, or the passion of love that we so deeply crave. And as frustrating as it is that God uses the desert to draw us to himself, it is the reality of how he has worked and, I believe, continues to work. I think that God takes us to the desert because false gods will not follow us there. They will leave us to die in the desert, but God will meet us there, and there he'll restore relationship, hope, joy, and life. Now, enough of my talking here for this morning. I'm excited to introduce to you Mary Stoltzfus. Some of you know Mary. Mary's been here at GPC for a little while. Right, Mary? I'm not going to give away too many things here, but Mary's been here for a little while. And Mary, um, thank you, first of all, for being willing to come uh, chat with us. Uh, Thank you very much. You've been through a little bit of a desert experience yourself. uh, Mary's been through a significant career change um, in the middle of life, and those are decisions of your own making. So can you kind of frame up for us that time of your life, what happened, what was that like as you were deciding to make some of these changes that functionally, in some ways, kind of put you in some desert moments?
1: Yeah, uh, it was definitely a time of a lot of change and a lot of uncertain uncertainty for me. Um, so I'll begin by framing it to talk about Christmas 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, On that day, I was uh, at home alone. My kids were with their father. We were estranged for almost seven years at that point. And what could have been a very alone on a holiday, terrible experience, uh, ended up being an incredible time of worship um, and seeking the Lord, Uh, just laying before him my joys, my cares, my worries. And in all of that, uh, I felt a very, very strong uh, urging to quit my job and go to school. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot in that. Um, So that was really terrifying for me uh, on a lot of levels. My job was with our family business. Uh, It was a career that was very meaningful to me with work that I loved in an environment I had worked hard to get to, um, a place where I was recognized nationally, and in some cases internationally, and with people that I very much loved. Uh, I was frustrated with things at work, as if if anybody here has worked, I am sure you have been frustrated sometime, right? (laughs) So, there were those hard things, too, uh, but it was still very terrifying. It was also terrifying because I never was a really great student um, in high school. I sort of averaged A's to C's. I was mostly distracted because I'd rather work. I was kind of a weird mix. On one hand, I was a school newspaper editor. Do they have newspaper editors? I don't know. Uh, And on the other hand, I uh, worked Half days when I was a senior. I don't even know that they do that stuff anymore. I want to call it work release. That sounds like prison. It sure does. Uh, I don't. <laughs> I don't know what that yeah. was. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I would rather go weld and pour concrete than than be in school. So to think of going to college was not necessarily a natural um, thing for me. Uh, yeah. So in spring 2015. I decided, well, I should take a placement test and see if this college thing is a possibility before I disrupt my life completely. And so I went to Hack, took a placement test, and uh, where is Ben, pun grant? <laughs> Found that I was in severe remedial math need. <laughs> uh. Uh, like below eighth grade level. So I took that information, I'm a very logical, analytical person, and I thought, that's great, I'll go to college and be an engineer.
0: It's brilliant. Thank you. That's brilliant.
1: Thank you. I thought that made a lot of sense. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) I had kind of three different goals. One was kind of a low one, see if I can even hit that, then there was a middle one, and then my high one was I'd like to be an industrial engineer, and um, that's what I did, so there.
0: Uh, I didn't say you couldn't do that. Why are you telling me? It's like, I, I, I'm not the guy who said you can do that. Well, why did you, why would you do this, Mary? I mean, you're, you're right on. You have a, a, a great career. Your things are set and rolling. Why go through all this? Or maybe yeah, even what was stirring inside of you to make that yeah,
1: happen? Yeah, well, there was a lot of um, unrest for me at that time. And in my perspective at that time, and I do have a different perspective now, I felt like a lot of bad things were happening to me. Uh, I had empty nest for the first time. I have four kids, and in the span of a year, I experienced first empty nest, which the sound of the quiet in the house was so thick, like it was hard for me as a single mom. I had received divorce papers after seven years of estrangement and hanging on and trying to persevere, Uh, and I was disrupting my 30-year career. Uh, And like I said, I, I guess we'll come to that later. I do have, I do have a different perspective about that now, and you know, even though I believe on the outside I was mostly a, you know, joyful and active person inside, you know, I was, I was very wounded. And so, uh, I don't know. I just hung on to this direction that I believe God gave me, but inside there was a lot of turmoil at this point.
0: Well, let's speak to that turmoil quick. What was going on inside you? How did all of this impact you in terms of your own sense of identity, um, your faith, your relationships? What kind of things did this you know, do inside of you?
1: (laughs) It was pretty great, actually, uh, because all of my life- Sounds great, yeah. You know, just rip the Band-Aid off, I don't know. Uh, All of my life, uh, well, you know, my adult life, uh, from very young, I had been in charge. Uh, you know, because we had a growing family business, and then, you know, also as a single mom, I was in charge, and so I've always been the boss, I've always been in charge, I've always had to figure it out. And now, going through this change, um, I'm at school and I'm invisible, and I knew that that would happen, and I'd want it, I wanted it to. Uh, the first two schools I went to, Hack and Millersville, there's a lot of mixed age, you know, students. Later, I went to E-Town. I was anything but invisible there because I was the only adult there during the day, but that's a different story. Uh, So I was invisible. Uh, It was a time of humble reflection, of just focusing um, and working hard. So uh, it was just kind of a time of having it all stripped away and sort of rebuilt. Mm -hmm. Does that...
0: That makes a lot of sense. And that can be very disorienting and incredibly difficult to go through.
1: Yeah, there were two, at least two significant revelations from God at that time. I, I, I should have written down when it was, but, you know, and this will make me sound like I am losing my memory, but partway through college, I realized I was going to graduate the same year as my youngest son, P.J. In fact, technically a half year before him, our graduation day ended up being on the same day, you know. Anyway, um, and it it brought into mind something I had so put on the altar before, to the degree that I actually had forgotten about it. Amazing. Um, I had many, many years ago had wanted to go to college. I had started getting my transcripts together. I, I was looking around. I didn't know what I was looking for. And I realized to my horror that I was going to be a single mom. And I really thought about it. And for me, at that time, I decided, I'm not gonna have energy to do this. I'm going to need all of my energy. God help me to let go of it. Help me to forget it. I so completely forgot it. (laughs) Mm. And when I, oh, and my dream specifically was that I would start when my oldest daughter, Tina, would start college, I would go in the evenings, and I would finish when my youngest son would graduate. Mm. That was my specific dream, um, because I kind of have specific goals, that's how I am. And here, I no way got to start when Tina did. In fact, I started a year after PJ did. Mm. And I graduated a half a year ahead of them, wow. and I was like, "Oh my word! God gave me my dream back," yeah. and I didn't have to sacrifice all those years. It was just, it was just an incredible, um, wow. it was just an incredible revelation. And another thing in that journey, real quick, is um, when I switched then from Millersville to E Town. I think there was enough of time of reflection, of being invisible in my life, (laughs) that I was like, okay, God, what am I supposed to do now? I want to be, I want to be purposeful. I want to be relevant in your work. Mm -hmm. And I'm still going to, you know, want to finish this. So help me know. I don't know how to do it in this space that very day. I mean, that very day that I prayed that on the way to school, I had a significant conversation with another student. We talked about the Lord and after that, it just snowballed, and I began to, they it, it, it just came out of the woodwork. <laughs> Have relationships with students that, were, that are still today very meaningful, and uh, in fact, the, the engineering team at E-Town has so appreciated my mentorship with the students that they've asked me to come back and be an adjunct professor this fall. Oh, wow. And it all started like that morning with that prayer.
0: Wow! Wow! Yeah, that's really cool. (laughs) Those. So there are times, if I'm hearing your story right, that there are times you felt when everything is stripped away, and you're still trying to gain your footing, and it's there's a. We we have the benefit of hindsight now, (laughs) but in the moment, you know, James says count it all count it all joy. Well. I mean, that's really good advice until you actually go through a trial. <laughs> and then in the moment, I don't know about you, but at least for me, it can be like, well, I don't really count it joy at first. I counted a trial at first, right? I mean, that's where I'm at, at least. Um, so can you speak to how you counted this, if you will? How did you count it in real time? And how do you count it now? Maybe how has that shifted over time? Because, you know, when we come to trials and those challenges of the hard things, you're First instinct is this is a hard thing. <laughs> Not like I'm so happy that I get to go through these questionings and challenges, but yet, in hindsight, sometimes things happen. So, can you talk to us about how you kept your mind and heart in a good space, how you counted things in the moment, and now, maybe in hindsight, what you've learned?
1: For me, the journey of more taking more responsibility for how God equipped me for this journey, or even my own decisions and wiring in it. The journey from feeling like all these bad things are happening to me to, hey, guess what? God already provided the tools. God already had that dream under control that I thought I gave up. God is already providing a new way And this is kind of cool to be able to reinvent your life in other ways. Uh, The more I took, I don't want to say responsibility, it's not about, say, accepting the blame for something or assigning the blame to something. I just mean that even in it, he is so there. Mm. And the more I saw that and the more I even accepted that, hey, I'm kind of an adventurous person. Mm -hmm. I actually like change and new and growing. Uh, yeah, the more I embrace that, the more joy mm. there was in that journey and the less frustration or blame or it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah. and I would say, too, <laughs> another strange kind of a joy. There are a couple times where people used humor in my life in ways that... Um, were very helpful if not even just shocking to me. Uh, you know, I, re- I think I, rec- <laughs> I recall one time, I, when I went to Millersville, one of my nieces went there and a couple of her friends and we ended up usually having lunch together and I was telling one of them because he asked what my, ka- my um, course load was and it was ridiculous. And, uh, and he's just like, and they all called me Aunt Mary. So he's just like, <laughs> well gee, Aunt Mary, Everything in moderation, even in moderation, huh? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just funny things like that where you just kind of laugh at your life, or the, the night that I got the, di- the divorce papers in the mail was the night before I was hosting a grad party for my youngest son, who was graduating from high school, and my oldest son, who was graduating from college. And I was ha- gonna have a lot of people over, And so was my estranged husband. And then I get this surprise in the mail. And I was just, I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. And when I told a friend of mine there, told her and her husband, they just laughed at the ridiculousness of it. Hmm. (laughs) So this is not a strong (laughs) theological moment. But I have learned (laughs) that, like, sometimes it's not about if it's sad or happy, but just the fact that you can go, this is ridiculous. (laughs) Ridiculous.
0: <laughs> well, uh, you know. let me jump into that real quick, Mary, just briefly, if you can. In that moment, you get the divorce papers in, and then the next day, you're hosting this grad party. I mean, count it all joy when you <laughs> face trials of many kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces. So talk about that moment in light of what we're even looking at this morning. I mean, really, when I'm counting that, my instinct isn't to be like, awesome, and I have a grad party tomorrow. It's like, wow, there's a sense of, you know, the way you describe this being overwhelmed or surprised and it hits in a different way. And, and here's James saying, hey, consider, consider it this way. What do you say to that? In hindsight or You're in the moment? you me
1: off this. This is where I'm not good at theology. I don't know, sometimes you can't count it. You don't need a theological pure.
0: answer. I mean, <laughs> I mean just the way you, Mary Stoltz, personally processed it. You don't need to be...
1: I think on the way to joy, because joy for me comes later when it's something that's really, really hard. And on the way to joy, sometimes there's just a bit of shake it off, laugh at the ridiculousness of it. And just take one more step forward, knowing that God's got it. He's in that future. You can't figure out how now it's going to be okay. I don't know.
0: Yeah. You know. I think it's very honest. I don't know if I know either. (laughs) Yeah, that's really good. So, and that's part of the reality of these hard passages, because they meet, they're fine. They're fine in a a clean, air-conditioned church building, but when you... Get to our real life. It's different. There are a bunch of people sitting here, and we're all trying to process different things in our lives. Some may be on the verge of making a decision and wondering, maybe I should do this, maybe I shouldn't. But if I were to make that decision, like Mary did, there'd be so much junk that would come with it. I'm not ready to do that. Maybe some people are afraid of taking a step. They should. Um, How do you speak to? Because we we can anticipate that there will be trials that may come if I were to do something that I believe I should do. Therefore, I won't do something I believe I should do because the trials will be too much, the pain will be too much. You've done some of that. So any encouragement, thoughts for us if we're in that situation here this morning?
1: I think we need a whole sermon on determining the will of God. (laughs) Uh, That's that's something I can't really explain or even often feel completely solid about in the moment. Uh, I believe that the call to persevere is for the things that God has called you to. For my personality, uh, I will persevere in things I was never meant to persevere in. And right. so I don't mean to complicate the message. Absolutely. Yep. But I remember you, if I must
0: say. <laughs> oh, dear.
1: Hitting a wall with your fist. <laughs> yeah. When That's you right. were so mad. Yep. At something I was hanging on to and trying to make work mm-hmm. that you thought I should just not be dying on that sword. Right. Um, right. So there are times that I have tried to persevere when it wasn't the healthy thing to do. That's right. But when God calls you to it or when you find yourself in something you cannot change um, yes, it's absolutely worth it. It is so rewarding to walk through a desert with the Lord. you just never forget those times of worship the it's like drinking water when you're thirsty you know you, it just tastes so good it's just it it, it creates a foundation for your life I I I need that prayer, I may butcher it, you know, uh, God, uh, give me uh, the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I I, I need a little help sometimes with wisdom to know the difference, but then he will give us the courage. Yeah.
0: Mary, thank you for sharing this. There's more, more to share, for sure, more to your story that only a few minutes can only highlight. But I encourage you to connect with Mary to, to, um, to chat with you. You'd be open to some chatting, wouldn't you, Mary?
1: I don't like to talk.
0: Yes. <laughs> perfect, <laughs> perfect. Uh, Mary has gone through some, a lot of things. You require a lot
1: of notice before I talk.
0: Yeah, you do, oh my goodness. Uh, Mary has a lot of good stuff in her life that she's gone through, and a lot that you're still processing, um, and I think for all of us as well. So Mary, I want to thank you for being willing to to share a little bit with us, and open the the window a little bit into some of this, and uh, represent and reflect on the real challenges and nuances of even what James is talking about. Uh, Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'd just like to Mm -hmm. share two very common verses. I'm sure everybody here knows them, but it's helpful for someone like me who always wonders, what's my job in this, you know? Mm -hmm. What's my role in this? What am I supposed to do? And I keep coming back to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your path. See, that's really significant to me because it clarifies my job and it clarifies his job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my job is to acknowledge him and trust in him and he's gonna, he's gonna do the directing and also all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. And so, again, my job is to to just to just love him and to know that I'm called, and then he will work it for good. I always feel like I'm supposed to work it for good. So there is, you know, there's perseverance, but there's also remembering what part of it is your job and what part of it is God's job. Mm, That's
0: really good. A lot to this, a lot more than we can say in the time we have left this morning. Guys, thanks for listening in. Mary, thanks for sharing. Um, Can I pray for us here as we wrap it up? Father, thanks for the time this morning. Thank you so much for Mary and the way that you have worked in her life over the years. I thank you for her willingness to share with us. And as we consider our own uh, step here in perseverance, um, what does this mean? Some of us are in a situation that we should get out of, but we think we should persevere in it. I pray that you give us the wisdom to know what to step out of and to step into. I pray that you would help us with the uh, courage to have a, a right mind about the ongoing challenges that we're in, to count it, to be willing to fight a mental battle here, to consider it, to have the opinion of, to have the mindset that this valley can deliver me hope and joy. This valley can change a relationship I have with my Heavenly Father from someone I serve to someone I love and someone I understand and loves me. And as Mary. Mary's testimony is you you meet us in that valley. You give us water to drink. You meet our deepest needs there in the desert. And so, I pray that you would help us if we are in those desert spaces now uh, to remember that you come and meet us right there. So, Father, we thank you for the time to be in your Word this morning, and thank you for Mary's chance to share and hear more about her stories. I pray you bless her and her family. In Jesus' name, amen.